So Harvest Sunday uh, is this morning's Harvest Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays uh, of the year. I think it brings back lots of really good childhood memories. I remember going to church with my parents during Harvest Sunday and just that sense that you have today of thanksgiving, of thanking God for the really good things in your life. And of course, that's something we should be doing every day uh, of the week, but there's something really special about just pausing uh, on this Harvest Sunday, just taking stock, remembering the good things that God has done in our lives over the past year, and giving him thanks, and giving all the glory to him for what he's done in our lives. So today is a day when we give thanks. And one of the things that I really love about the tradition of harvest, or what they call Thanksgiving uh, in the United States, and frankly, it's one of the very few things that I really admire about the United States at this moment in time. But one of the things I do admire about the United States is that tradition of thanksgiving. That tradition whereby they take pause during the month of November, as it is for them, and they think back to all that God has done for them over the past year. The blessing of the harvest, but so much more than that. And they throw a great party, and they have loads of food, and they have their neighbors around, and their family around, and it's a real celebration uh, of God's goodness. And it's a celebration of God's goodness, because the, the festival of Thanksgiving in the United States, when it first started in 1789, it was actually proclaimed by President George Washington at that time as being a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be acknowledged and observed with grateful hearts for all that God has done. It's not a religious festival for everybody anymore, but its origins are as a religious festival. And still today, as people gather in November in the States, it's an opportunity to give thanks to God with grateful hearts for all that he has done. Now, true to form, on this side of the pond, we are slightly more reserved about how we do things than our friends in America. And we don't throw great parties uh, by tradition to thank God for the things that he has done, though maybe we should. But today, we are no less grateful as we sit here and we think of the wonderful moments of breakthrough, the wonderful moments of provision that God has done in our lives. This morning when I came into this place and uh, I saw the pumpkins outside and the apples sitting and bales of hay and all the rest of it, um, I slightly wondered what was going on. And, um, and then the, first, the second thing that uh, came across my mind was just how blessed we are as a people. Because we are a people who live in a country where there is an abundance of provision. And that is not the same for so many people all across the world. We are truly blessed that we can say that there is more, that God gives us more in this country than we will ever need. That is not to say that it is all divided fairly and equally among people. And there are many people in our community who have many pressing needs at this time, but there is enough to go around in this country, which is not the same for every country in the world. But today I'm not going to be thinking so much when we meditate on Psalm 126, I'm not going to be thinking so much about food, though it's important. 
and I'm not going to be thinking so much about the bales of hay and the grain and the wheat and the barley and the tractors and the combine harvesters because, frankly, I know nothing uh, about all of those things. I am way out of my depth. I am that person who goes to Donegal for a switch-off holiday in the month of September, and my first question is, do they have Wi-Fi? I don't do countryside, uh, though I probably should uh, more often. But it's really important that we take time out, that we think, that we look back, and no better time to do it than on this Harvest Sunday, which is a changing of the seasons. It's that moment when we think about the gathering in of the crops before the winter storms arrive. And therefore, it's a time when we pause, when we take stock, and when we reflect on God's provision, and we give thanks. But what, har- what happens in the fields to the harvest stock if unexpected storms arrive during the summer? And conversely, what happens to the harvest if it's a real scorcher in July and August? What happens then to the crop? It's ruined. How are we meant to gather in this place and give thanks if the crop is ruined, if we wonder where our provision is going to come from, how are we supposed to give thanks in those circumstances? These are some of the questions that I think we're being asked to think about this morning when we read Psalm 126. But as I say, we're not going to think about it so much in terms of where does our food come from when the harvest is ruined, because Psalm 126 takes the idea of the harvest, and it applies it to our lives. So I think what God's asking us to think about this morning is this. What happens when we go through a bad season in life? And what do we do when the harvest of our lives turns to ruin? What do we do when suddenly, out of nowhere, we're told we're being made redundant? And what do we do if suddenly, out of nowhere, we're told there's something wrong with our bodies and it's not looking good? Or what do we do if we enter into a cycle of despair where God feels like he's a million miles away? And that cycle of despair leads us to spiritual ruin. How on earth are we supposed to give thanks when that happens in our lives? I think these are some of the questions that Psalm 126 is asking us to think about today. This psalm is set against the background of the children of Israel who were going up to Jerusalem for one of the festival days. And as they were marching up the hills, they would sing these psalms, these songs of ascent, as they're called, um, to spur them on in many ways, to keep them going through the trials of getting up through the hills, to get to the place in Jerusalem where, as it was at that time, they thought that God dwelt with his people. And we'll get to what it is they sing in just a moment. 
But before we get to that, I think it's worth actually spending just a minute thinking about the way that this psalm is laid out. It's really short, and yet it's divided into three different sections. And that's really important because it tells us something about what's going on here for the children of Israel. It begins with the children of Israel in the first three verses looking back on what God has done in their lives previously. And that's why the first three verses are all in the past tense. The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. All of this is them looking back to a time in the past. Verse 4 then flips to where they are at the moment, in the present, the state of the place they find themselves in at that moment. And we'll look at that verse in a little bit more detail in a second or two. And in verses 5 to 7 is like what they take away from all of this, the life lesson that they take away from the experience that they are going through. So verse 4 is where they're at at this present moment in time. And they're singing out, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Why on earth would they be singing, Restore our fortunes, Lord? Well, why do you restore anything in life? We restore things in life to bring them back to a place of their former glory, their former goodness, the state that they were in before they fell into a bad state, a state of disrepair. So by saying, restore our fortunes, Lord, the people of Israel here are crying out desperately for some of God's fortune or his favor to be revisited on their lives once again. And they're crying out to him for help that he would bring them back to the place of joy that they once found themselves in. Why are they not in a position of joy at the moment? They're not in a position of joy because what was going on at this time was that they were needing to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls of the city. But they were facing all sorts of challenges around them. Challenges were coming at them from every front, and they were exhausted, spiritually exhausted, physically physically exhausted, and they were also deeply discouraged at this time. And so they cry out to God, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. But why like streams in the Negev? Streams in the Negev is a really powerful image that the people of Israel give us here. Because the Negev was one of the lands in the southern part of Judah that was traditionally really arid and dry. It was scorched dry. But what happened to the Negev that makes it so important for the story of the children of Israel is that in the winter and the spring of every year, what would happen in that area of Judah is that the rain would come down all of a sudden out of nowhere. And it would be a real torrent of rain that would come down. And the water would flow through the streams, turning it from dry, parched land into land that is flowing with water. 
And that would happen all of a sudden, according to the climate of that place at that time. So when they're crying out, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev, what they're crying out is, Lord, turn this around. Turn this around 180 degrees for us. Turn this around completely for us, because we are in a bad place, and we are desperate for our fortunes to be restored. This is a really bold prayer. It's a really confident prayer that they pray. And it's bold and it's confident because they trust in God to do it for them. These are people who know that they can afford to have confidence and they can afford to have trust in God and that's why they have bold prayers. And the reason why they can have bold prayers is that they look back on a time in their life when God miraculously restored them before. And that's why the psalm starts with these first three verses of them singing out joyfully to God. Because what they're looking back on at the beginning of the psalm is a time when God delivered them in the past from captivity. A time when God released them from misery and suffering. And they can hardly take it in, even to this day. They look back and they say, Lord, in those times when you did this for us, we were like those who dreamed. We were like those who dreamed. We can hardly believe that you did that for us. It looked so hopeless, the situation we were in. We were stuck there for year after year after year. We'd almost given up. And then you intervened. And then you delivered and we can hardly take it in. It's like a dream come true. I am sure that there are people in this room today who have had experiences like that in your life, where something has looked really hopeless, where you've been up to your neck in trouble, where there is, it just looks like there is no way out of the situation that you are in. It's a right mess. And then suddenly, just like that, God turns it around. And you think to yourself, how on earth did that happen? And you even ask yourself, did it happen? It's like you've got to pinch yourself. And then it dawns on you that there is no rational explanation for the thing that's happened in your life. There is no plausible explanation. There is no quote-unquote coincidence that can explain the miracle that has taken place in your life other than it was the work of God. So the first lesson that we are given from this psalm this morning is this. When you're in that place of crying out to be restored, and we're all there from time to time in our lives, then call out to God. Call out to him boldly with confidence. Ask him to turn it around 180 degrees. 
and put your trust in him to do it and to deliver you. Now, I know that that's easier said than done. And when you're in the thick of it, it can be really, really difficult. It can be really difficult to have that faith that God will turn things around completely for you. Sometimes some things just seem to be so overwhelming that you think, actually, there is no way out of this. I will never get out of this. Well, if you're in that position, and when you're in that position, then remember Psalm 126, and remember the story of the children of Israel, and look at what God did for them, and look at how they coped. They coped by looking back and remembering God's fortune, his favor, his provision in their lives in times gone by. And then look back on your life and remember those times when God lifted you out of things, when they were looking pretty bad, pretty dark, pretty hopeless. And that's where your confidence comes from, that God will do it again for you because he's done it before. So remember those moments and cherish them and maybe even write them down because their day will come when they will sustain you and when they will be like food for your weary soul. The next thing is that God turns around, when God turns around things for us in life, the next thing Psalm 126 says to us is really important as well. What it says to us in the middle verses is that we should tell others just as the people of Israel did. Tell others about what God has done for you so that they take notice of what God has done and give God all the glory. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. People noticed. People took up, people sat up, and they took notice of what God had done because it was miraculous, because there was no plausible, rational explanation for it. So it's really important to share these moments with other people. On Monday the 20th of August of this year, I was going through a circumstance in my life that so many people uh, in this congregation today have gone before in your lives. Monday the 20th of August this year, I was lying in a bed in the theatre of a specialist hospital in Belfast, going through a surgical procedure. I had felt that something wasn't right. The GP had felt that something wasn't right. A specialist surgeon had agreed that something wasn't right. And it had to be dealt with. And as I was lying there that day in August, I was told at the end of the procedure that I would have to wait one month before I would find out if the thing that it might have been was what it was. And that was a very long month, a very long month, a month of testing, a month of trial, a month actually for, for the first time in my life, 
although I sensed that it could be treated if it was the worst, and when I faced up to my mortality for the first time ever in my life. And I know there are people in here who have done the same thing recently and over the years. And you will know that it is a very isolating experience. And it's a time when you can feel very fragile as an individual and very lonely as an individual. Well, I remember one time in that month, I remember generally getting through it. I remember hoping for the best. I remember praying for the best. But I remember one time at the end of August of reaching a real low one Saturday morning. And it was from that moment, that real low, that moment of tears that we read about in this morning's psalm, that God intervened. And I could hear God speak to me that day. And what God said to me that day was, by his wounds, you are healed. And that was the thing that gave me comfort. That was the thing that gave me peace. That in itself did not mean that it was going to turn out well. Yes, I was going to be healed. But that could have been in the next life. I didn't know. But it meant that God was with me through it. And that was all that mattered. That was the thing I held on to at that time. As the weeks went on, and we got to the time of finding out the results, that very human instinct kicked in of beginning to worry, of not having confidence in that promise, of beginning to doubt, of asking yourself, did I really hear that, or am I just imagining it? And what happened after that was one of those moments that I will never forget. A few days before I went to get my results, we had a select vestry meeting. Now, at the best of times, I sometimes don't pay as much attention at vestry as I should. But at the worst of times, I was a bit distracted uh, at our last vestry meeting. And I wasn't paying as much attention as I should. And Terry McKees uh, stood up and did the reading. And he started doing the reading. And I still wasn't paying that much attention, to be perfectly honest. Until Terry got to these words from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was, that, punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And it was one of those moments where you hear God speaking to you directly through his word. And it was a reminder. I just felt it was him saying to me in the room that night, this is going to be okay. I am with you. He was reminding me of his promise to me. And three days later, it was okay. 
and I got the all clear. And we had a great celebration that night. We had a great slap-up meal uh, that night. Now, sometimes in life, you have to go through sorrow to understand joy. Because in life, we all have low moments. But in life, no matter what you're going through, we can all be restored. And it might be healing for an illness, but it might not. And I can't answer the question about, you know, why God intervenes in some circumstances to heal and why he doesn't intervene in other circumstances to heal. I can't answer that question. But what I can say is this. Through Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate healer, who is the ultimate restorer, even if you're going through the very worst in life, you've better days ahead to look forward to. This Psalm 126 is all pointing forward to Jesus Christ as the great restorer. Jesus, don't forget, went to death on the cross, weeping, and yet returned from the dead with resurrection songs of joy. And no matter what we go through in life, even if and when it is death itself, we are told and we are promised in Revelation that someday he will return and he will gather us up like the harvest crops and he will take us to heaven. And on that day, he personally will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And on that day, there will be no more death and no more pain and no more suffering and no more crying because this order of things that we go through in this life, all of that will come to an end. The cycles of suffering and despair and joy, all of those ups and downs that we go through in life, all of that will come to an end. There will be no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying, no more suffering. We'll all have passed away There's a great harvest hymn that we sang at uh, 10 o'clock this morning, uh, and that many of you will know, We Plough the Fields and Scatter, a great harvest hymn. And in that hymn, we sing the following. We thank thee then, O Father, for all things bright and good. The seed time and the harvest, our life, our health, our food. And today, of course, we give thanks to God for all of those things, because without food, we don't have health, and without health, we don't have life. It's all really important. And the chorus goes on. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord for all his love. Well, as I think this morning of the good gifts of God given to us, yes, the food, yes, the harvest of the fields, but yes, also, and yes, more importantly, the love of God and the goodness of God 
in our lives. So what is the harvest? Yes, the harvest is those things that keep us going, nourish us, sustain us from day to day. But the harvest is what God puts in your life in order to get you through those times of sorrow. We have the harvest of his word poured out for us with so much comfort, so many encouragements in there. We have the harvest of other people. We have the people that God has put around us in our lives, our families, our friends, our church family. So many people have said to me, and I think it's true, you're going through something really bad in life and you're worried that it's the really bad thing, the thing we never talk about, death itself, sometimes you get to that point where you don't actually worry so much about yourself. You worry about the people you leave behind. We are blessed to have a church family in this place that loves and cares for each other. Because you are the harvest. God plants the seeds of the harvest in the hearts of his people. And from it flow wonderful acts of love. The things that people in this congregation do on a daily and weekly basis, without any fanfare, without any great acclaim, quietly, in your own little way, looking after each other and looking after the people in your community. So whatever season of life you are in at the moment, take comfort, take strength, and have faith. Because whatever you're going through, the Lord of the harvest promises to pick you up and to turn all of your tears into joy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for that message from your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for that reminder that you are the one who restores people when they are on their knees. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in prayer and that we can cry out, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Father, for anyone here today who is going through such a time in their life, or for anyone who is known to us today, who is going through such a time in their life. Lord, we cry out, restore their fortunes like streams in the Negev.